Good morning. Oh, that's good. Thanks, Kevin. You're right there. I love it, brother. All right. Um, <clears throat> well, in core class this morning, we were talking about God is faithful. He's faithful, which means that God is true and trustworthy. So when you say amen, you're saying, that's true. That's true. And you're also echoing, he is true, right? And so um, that's good and welcomed, okay? Um, yeah, that's fine. You can say it throughout. Amen. Well, thank you. All right. All right. So, um, yeah, and that won't be distracting for me. That'll just be welcome. I'll just keep going, okay? Right? Um, so this is, this is wonderful. Um, so today we're looking at, um, oh man, this thing is really tough because I need to put this on and my jacket's on, so hold on. Um, yeah. You can talk amongst yourselves for like five seconds, 10, that awkward moment when I need to put this on, all right? Okay. Thank you. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay, here we go. All right, John 15, table talk. Uh, is our series, and we're looking at the last words of Christ before the crucifixion. Um, that's appropriate as we march towards Easter, right, um, and, and Resurrection Sunday. So we're looking, we've been in John 13, washing the feet, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? And we talked about last week how uh, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. It's not mansions, many rooms, okay? And so it's not a mansion over hilltop. It's like you get a room added on to the Father's house, amen? Oh, oh Yeah. I'm excited about that room, so come on. Um, and so that, that, that's, what it, that's what it will be, because in first century, uh, first century uh, uh, Judaism, that's what you did. The father just added on. When, he, when, when a son married in, a son married, and, and, and he got his wife, they just married and just added on rooms. So that's why when you go and you look at the hilltop, you'll see these terraces and you'll see these rooms added on. That's because the father adds on these rooms um, as the family grows. And so as you and I who trust and believe in Jesus, the Father adds on rooms for us. Amen? Oh, that's good. So then we get to John 15. And there's so much here in John 15. That's where we're going to start today. John 15, 1 through 17 is... Uh, Unfortunately, we can't get through all the, cha all the chapter, just like we couldn't get through all of 14. So we're going to center on John 15, 1 through 17. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that, he, some, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Amen. Father God, we come to you today. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would give us ears to hear. Would you tune our ears to hear what you have to say today, O God? Holy Spirit, would you enlighten our minds? For the scriptures say that unless our our minds are enlightened with the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand what your scripture says. And so today we pray for an enlightenment of your Holy Spirit, but we also know that we are powerless to do anything apart from you like we just read. And so we also pray and plead with you today, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to do what you teach us as we go out today, God. So Lord, we are humbled. Our posture towards you is one of humbleness today. Would you teach us today? Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the first thing that I want you to uh, understand is that Israel in the Old Testament is constantly referred to as God's vineyard. God's vineyard. Anybody growing a vineyard right now? No one's raising their hand. Okay. We have muscadine grapes that, that like to grow here in a couple months. And one of Philip's favorite things to do is let's go pick grapes. And they have that little pit seed in the middle, so you got to be careful on that thing. But it, it, it's, it's one of the f- wonderful things that he loves to do. Now he looks forward to spring and summer where he can go pick muscadine grapes. Um, so anybody need some of those? We'll have those in a couple months for you, okay? Um, but, but Israel was known as God's vineyard. There, and in, 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 in Israel, there would be these rich, lush vineyards, right? And, and in, in Isaiah 5, it actually talks about Israel being God's vineyard and that he has taken great care of his vineyard. He, he, has, he has pruned and he has fertilized and he has made sure that he has done what he needs to do so that Israel can grow closer to him. And so Jesus is going off of this context, and he's saying that I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, Verse 2 says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, that's right, you heard it right, a fruit-producing branch, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You can write this down. Pruning is painful. Ouch. Pruning is painful. It would be so much sweeter if it read, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Great. But it says, every branch that does bear fruit, does bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear, that it may bear more fruit. So what do you know about uh, if anybody does gardening and anybody does pruning, you have to take the little saplings that start to sprout up because they are going to take nutrients and life away from the main branch that is going to produce fruit or bud, flower. Make sense? 
And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He's using a very common agricultural, agricultural, thank you, illustration to say, Jesus said, we're going to have to do this painful process. Yes, some cutting away. And actually, literally the word means to cleanse. The, the Greek word here means to cleanse. So every branch that does bear fruit, he cleanses that it may bear more fruit. The pruning process is painful. Even the, even the ones that produce fruit, the pruning must occur here. The Greek word here literally means to cleanse. Everything is removed from the branch that would tend to divert vital power from producing fruit. Every gardener knows that without constant pruning, the saplings will start to take all of the nutrients. So how many of you can plant a garden and then leave it for a month and it's just going to come back and produce fruit? Right? Anybody who has done a garden knows you can't really do a two-week trip and then come back because when you come back, that thing is going to be full of weeds. It's going to have saplings all over the place, and you'll do good to get some fruit out of it, right? No, we have to constantly stay on top of it. We have to constantly be intentional. We have to constantly get the shears out there and do that. Jesus is making this painful illustration for us to say we, we have this great tendency to resist the pruning and the cleansing of the Lord as we are producing fruit. We want those saplings to stay on the branch, don't we? You know why we want those saplings to stay on the branch? Because they're comfortable. Because they divert us from what God's really wanting to do in our lives. And so he, he has to prune away the distraction. He has to prune away the diversions or the, the empty wells that we seek to fulfill ourselves with so that we can see and know the living water that never runs dry. In reality, these draw away. You and I know, as as I am saying it right now, you know the distractions and diversions that are coming to your mind that you know have diverted you from bearing fruit in the Lord. Pruning is painful, but pruning is necessary. Amen? So I don't know what kind of pruning the Lord's doing in your life right now. I mean, we could camp out here and just preach this one point, and that would be good because we could talk about pruning for a long time, but God is constantly pruning. I had, <laughs> had one of our elders actually tell me this, and it was a word of encouragement. He says, well, <laughs> if, if you're being attacked or if you're under attack, take it as a sign that you're doing the work of the Lord. As you are bearing fruit, again, it says that the ones who bear fruit, they're the ones that are getting pruned. So instead of resisting it, it sounds weird, but kind of embrace the refinement process. Embrace that and kind of welcoming it. Know that God is working it out. Amen? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, but in the process, it will be a painful pruning process. What is he trying to clip away? What sapling of diversion has started to sprout up in your life that needs to be clipped away so that it doesn't take away from gospel fruit? But secondly, and you can write this down, Jesus wants to be at home in your life. He wants to be at home in your life. The most common word that you're going to see over and over in this chapter is abide. 
right? If we could classify this chapter, abide in me, abide, abide, abide. Well, what in the world does abide in me? I mean, look at verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, if we could just get that, right? Apart from him, we can do nothing. Nothing. What is this Greek word for abide? It literally means to actively dwell or reside in. It kind of gives it a little bit more of a context, right? Let me put it in modern day language. Jesus wants to make himself completely at home in your life. There should be no area or no room in your house that Jesus is not welcomed into and completely comfortable and at home with. No dirty closet, no laundry room full of junk, right? I mean, all of that, it may be there, but what I'm saying is you have to have that daily cleansing and confession to him. And that way he can be at home and welcome. You ever heard about, we talked about this before, um, Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, uh, 18, he says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what he says right after that? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now put this together. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we say to Jesus in his lordship, you are not welcomed in this part of my life. No, God, I'm going to do this even though I know it goes against what you desire, even though I know that like Jonah, you're telling me to go to Nineveh and preach to Nineveh, but I'm going to go to Tarshish, right? That grieves or quenches the Holy Spirit of God. Now, here's the thing, church. If the church is full of people who are grieving the Spirit and not welcoming the Spirit of God, you have a dead church. If you have a church that is more consumed with pursuing their kingdom than his kingdom, you have a wayward church because the church is made up of individuals in the family of God. And so it is incumbent upon us that as we come into this place that we are not grieving the Holy Spirit of God, because I don't know if you know this about the Holy Spirit, but he's sensitive. He's sensitive. What do you mean? Like he gets his feelings hurt? He does not go where he is not welcome. He does not go where Jesus is not Lord. And so hear me, Jesus says, I want to abide in you and you abide in me. There needs to be this connection where we live and abide together. See, Jody and I live and we begin the day abiding together. We dwell in the same house, right? So we we wake up in the same dwelling and we do many of the activities, particularly on weekends and evenings, and we have many of our conversations at our place of residence, right? And it's at our place of residence that huge decisions, oh my goodness, have decisions today, that huge decisions are made that affect multiple people, right? Where, where are those conversations usually taking place? At the place that we reside. Oh, sometimes in the car too, but that doesn't prove the point as well. <laughs> at the home, in our home before bed, when we wake up, after lunch, in the evening, 
we have these conversations, and those conversations lead to decisions that affect not only our house of seven, but affect multiples, right? What am I saying here? I'm saying that Jesus wants to be in the house, and he wants you to be in his house. So there's this mutual abiding. He wants to make himself at home in your house, in your heart. In him, you also are being built together, Ephesians 2.22, into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Now, let's just break this down just a little bit. Apostle Paul says that in Ephesians, he says, um, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And then he goes on to say that the church is the dwelling place of God on earth. So God resides in you. Did did y'all track it with me here? God resides in you via the Holy Spirit, and he wants you to abide, to stay, to connect. God intends to dwell with his people, to live together, not relegated to one hour on a a Sunday, but to live and move and find our being in him. This is beautifully illustrated back to the time of Moses, where it says that he would go and he would meet with God as a friend out at the tent of meeting. And that tabernacle was meant to be a center of life, where God would dwell with his people and his people would dwell with him. My question for you, is Christ at home in your heart? Is he comfortable? Or are you grieving the Holy Spirit by thoughts, by actions, by cordoning off a section of your life and segmentizing and sectionalizing areas of your life to say, Lord, you have no part here? But not only that, we need and we see that we are chosen to bear lasting fruit. We are chosen to bear lasting fruit. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you, he says, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, here it is, abide, remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, here's the thing. We kind of read these verses sometimes and we start to get uncomfortable. We get to be uncomfortable because it, we, we kind of associate it with name it, claim it theology. And maybe preachers or televangelists who say, well, if you just claim it, you will receive it. You miss the whole point. Here's what. As you remain connected to Jesus and you are so close to him, and he is so close to you, you don't longer pray selfish kingdom thoughts. You start to pray missional Jesus kingdom thoughts. You start to not say, oh God, I wish you would curse that man who just cursed me. You start to pray, God, Lord, I know you're working on my heart, and you're being super patient with me. God, would you help me be super patient with him today? Would you help him see your patience through and in me and how I respond today, let it be how you would respond. You see the difference? That's the difference. That's what it means. And so when he he says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will give it to you, it's because you're asking his kingdom purposes. You're not asking selfish, oh God, let me, let me build that mansion. God, let me build or let me get that brand new F-250 King Ranch loaded out, right? Okay, the, no, 
You're praying, oh God, would your kingdom come here on earth, here in Nacogdoches, here, right here at 2505 North Street, as it is in heaven. And then you may ask whatever the Father, you may ask in his name, and he will give it to you. But hear me, you can't separate the abiding from the asking. You can't separate those two. Abide, then ask. You don't ask and then try to cozy up and abide. You have been chosen. Now, what do we know about the ambassador appointment process? I don't know if you know about this, but let me explain how this works. So when the president wants himself represented to another country, he chooses an ambassador. He, I won't get political here. I'll stop right there, but I'll just say, I'll just say that uh, (laughs) he he tends to choose people that he knows and maybe have given a lot of money uh, to the campaign and uh, they want to go live in Italy, right? So um, (laughs) that's how it works in the real world. Uh, But anyway, this ambassadorship is meant to, they are meant to go represent the president, his wishes and speak for the president in that country at that embassy on behalf of the president. Make sense? Okay. So he selects a person. They have to go before the Senate, right? Sometimes those get contentious. Sometimes like, hey, are you qualified? Should you really be going over there? Blah, blah, blah. We have all these things, have all these hearings, right? Um, Most of the time it's a rubber stamp. And off they go to Paris to spend the next four years to represent the president, right? But they, they are appointed and selected, and then they are given the power to go and to represent the president and the United States of America on his behalf. And so that in that country, whenever that ambassador speaks, he is speaking for the president. He is representing the president. Whatever the president wishes, whatever his agenda is, that is his goal to implement that. Jesus is saying, I have chosen you, I have appointed you. You have been chosen and you have been appointed that you should go, be people of action, and that you should bear much fruit. Basically, you have been selected, chosen, appointed to go and you've been placed where you've been placed, wherever you live, whatever your earthly address is, that you represent King Jesus. He has appointed you, he has chosen you, and he has given you the authority to speak on his behalf that you should bear much fruit. You have been chosen and appointed and given the authority to, not the, only the authority, you've given, been given the command to bear fruit, lasting fruit, it says, fruit that remains, that as you speak for the Father, you speak for your King, you demonstrate his love to others, you ask the Father in his name, not in your own. And so that's when it makes more sense. When you understand that you've been chosen, that you've been appointed, that you have been given authority to speak and to act on Jesus's behalf to the world around you, that's when it starts to make sense that I can... Well, what does an ambassador do if he needs to answer a question or if he needs to know that if he can make that decision to the foreign country? Ding, 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 or... Right? I need to know. Can I say this for you? 
Whatever you ask in my name, it will be given to you. You, as you abide, remain in, connect to the Father, he speaks, and then you speak in Jesus' name. So we remain in. So my question to you this morning is, is Christ at home in your heart? Is he able to be at home in your heart, or are you resisting his love today? Have you realized that you're chosen, that you're appointed, but are you refusing to go, which is a very active verb, go and bear fruit? Are you sitting basically on your ambassadorship and saying, I'm not going to do anything with what I've been given and entrusted? Or is it a humble, I represent the king. I have confidence because he has chosen me, he has adopted me, and he has appointed me for such a time as this, just like Esther, to go and to represent. And so I'll go and I will ask the bold question. I will go make the bold move because God has chosen me and appointed me. And I don't speak just on my behalf. In fact, no, I speak on his behalf. That's what it means to abide, to remain in. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. May that be our prayer, church, that as we remain in him and he in us, that we would bear much, much fruit. Let's pray.